dude, my breath is blown back in my face. <laughs> Maybe I'm glad I'm far away. <laughs> I had a lot of garlic on my pizza for lunch. That kind of fits so with curses. Like yeah. Some yeah, I'm keeping the vampires away. All right, let's make this happen. Let's make it happen. We got a walk to take. <clears throat> I got a flight to catch and you got girls to pick up and life. We got yeah. life to live. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of Gem Junkies. I'm Brecken. And I'm Jonathan. And we are back for a Halloween special. Halloween special. Yeah. <laughs> Don't that, that that was, was cute, awesome. Jonathan. <laughs> Don't mind my voice; it's a little hoarse because I was at a University of Utah football game this weekend and screamed a lot, and we won. Of course, but it was pouring rain. Pouring rain. Miserable conditions, yeah. but ended happily. Yep. I went for my birthday with my dad and my sisters. Officially old. Officially old, I think. Aren't I? What? Why? I just am. You're I'm not that old. I'm feeling aged. Okay. You're making me feel <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. That far apart from each other. Anyway, on a more positive note, fun stuff happening this week with cursed jewelry. Yeah. And gemstones. So I think the most famous cursed gemstone would be the Hope Diamond, right? You'd think so. Everyone knows the Hope Diamond. Everyone knows the Hope Diamond is cursed. Do you know why? Uh, lots of people have died who owned it. <laughs> so here's the funny thing I think about cursed gemstones or jewelry is that everybody dies, right? So if you wait long enough, the owner's going to die. Right. And then it's going to pass on to somebody else who <clears throat> is eventually going to die. But we are going to have fun with the Halloween episode and kind of explain some of the curses of some of the most famous gemstones. So here we go. The Hope Diamond. Hope Diamond. It all starts in India. Okay. A lot of these start in India. They because do. Because India is one of the oldest sources for... Diamonds. Diamonds. Yeah. It starts in India in the year 1666. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh crap. Um... The stone was obtained by a gem merchant by the name of Jean-Baptiste Tavernet. And was it purchased or was it stolen? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. But he apparently made five voyages over there between 1640 and the 1670s um, procuring diamonds. And he came home and cut it into the Tavernet Blue, which is a... Really rough cut triangular shaped stone that weighed about 115 carats. He sold it to King Louis the 14th with about a thousand other diamonds. So he sold his like whole collection, mm -hmm. uh, for the price of $220,000. I guess not dollars, In but today's... French dollars. No, no, no. That, was, that was his payment back then. Okay. Um, but he also got a noble title with that. Oh. So there you go, which they figure is worth about half a million. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. You get it. You get a noble title. Uh, there are stories that Jean Baptiste was killed by dogs, like mauled by dogs on an expedition. Yeah, but to I've Russia. heard that's that's 
Not true. He it's lived till true. 80. Yeah. Okay. So we can move past that. But no Russian dogs. <laughs> in 1678, uh, Louis XIV had the stone recut into what is called the French blue um, and made it 67.125 carats. And it was apparently very pretty. It had the the shape of a sun with seven rays in the culet, which kind of defined his uh, godly right to be king, I guess. Okay. Um, it He asked the court jeweler to make him a piece to remember. It took the jeweler two years to complete it, um, but he loved it. He made it into a cravat pin. What is a cravat? I don't pin? know. They 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 described it as he also could wear it as a pendant, so okay. it was like a pin and a pendant. Okay. Uh, then he died of gangrene, but that happened. Yeah. Happened back then. Uh, so then it was passed down to his great grandson, King Louis the Fifteenth, who ordered the diamond to be made into a more elaborate piece, um, and he had it made into a jeweled pendant for the Order of the Golden Fleece. Now, there's a drawing of this. It looks pretty sick. It is a 107 carat carved red spinel in the shape of a dragon. That is breathing flames onto the French blue diamond. Ooh. And then a dead sheep kind of dangling from the bottom of it, which I believe is the the golden fleece. (laughs) Okay. But it's pretty cool. Now that piece then passed down to his grandson, who happened to be King Louis XVI. And we all know shit went down. Right. With him. So he and his wife, Marie Antoinette, liked to wear all the royal crown jewels, so they obviously did wear the French blue. Um, one of her best friends also wore the French blue. Now here's where it gets, you know, bad. The French Revolution happens. Right. The French crown jewels are stolen in 1792. In 1793, Marie's best friend, who is Princess de Lambelle, who often wore the French French blue, was beaten to death by a Parisian mob. And it wasn't pretty. Right. Let's just say she got hit with a hammer, disemboweled. Beheaded. Head stuck on a pike, and the pike was marched all the way through town and posted up outside Marie Antoinette's prison cell. Yeah. That sounds exciting. It was, yeah, yeah it was Some a bit, it was overkill, but she was actually attacked by the mob for not being willing to betray her best friend. Right. And that's, that's why she died. Who was Marie Antoinette? Now, King Louis famously died by the guillotine a few months later, oddly enough, on my birthday, October 16th, Marie Antoinette was beheaded. So there you go. That's yep. kind of a fun fact. So, three beheadings. <laughs> and then... It is. And then the stone disappears. So, it disappeared in 1792, and it doesn't reappear as the French blue ever. What we think happened, or what they do believe happened, was it was scurried away over to London, where it was recut into what we now know as the Hope Diamond. And oddly enough... The French blue disappeared on September 11th, 1792, and reemerged September 
1812, which was just a few days after the statute of limitations took effect on the crime. So hmm. 20 years later, now this new diamond comes out, the Hope Diamond. And there was all, always this controversy, is it, isn't it, is it, isn't it? Well, there was a 2008 investigation which proved beyond a reasonable doubt that the French blue was recut into the Hope Diamond. Right. There you go. So it was recut, and instead of weighing, what was it, 67, it was recut into 45 And the way they kind of determined that were sketches of the French blue compared to the Hope Diamond. Right. In that time, after it came out, again in 1812, it was sold to King George IV, who was famous for his debts. And after he died, the diamond was sold to pay off his debts. Now, there is some... I mean... We don't really know what happened the few years after that, but it comes to be owned by the Hope family, which is how the diamond gets its name. And he had a very bad gambling habit and died. (laughs) So so there you go. There's a lot of death that surrounds this stone. Um, This is where for the next 16 years after that, after it was sold out of the Hope Estate, um, it went from one owner to the next. Uh, One was a Frenchman named Jacques Collette who committed suicide. And then there was a Russian prince who was murdered. And then in 1908, there was a Turkish sultan who paid $400,000 for the stone and gave it to his favorite concubine. Um, but and within then he a kills year, her, right? yeah, but within a year, he stabbed her to death after he had been dethroned. Right. Um, and then. It passes to a man named Simon Monthrods, and he had it until, wait, let me see, had it next until, oh, oh, God, (laughs) he had it until there was a carriage accident, which overturned killing him and his wife and And his his infant daughter. Right. So, yikes. Then it was picked up by Cartier. Right. At some point. Well, we know after this. It was picked up by Cartier. And Cartier was the first person that kind of embellished the curse. Right. He sold it to... A woman who said that she could turn anything lucky. Right. Evelyn McLean. And she didn't like the mounting. So Cartier is like, cool, I'll take care of that. We'll change the mounting. And she she did, like Jonathan said, she believed that unlucky things were actually lucky for her. And she used to host these huge elaborate parties called Find, find the, the Hope. Hope. And she would hide it in her house and all of her guests would go around and find the Hope Diamond. Well, it didn't end well for her either. Um, her young son died in a car crash. Her daughter died of a drug overdose sleeping pills at the age of 25. And then she gets addicted to morphine. She became addicted to morphine and her husband had an affair, divorced, squandered their fortune, and then was declared legally insane and died in a sanitarium. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see this is maybe coincidental, but this... There is no hope in (laughs) There is no hope here for the diamond. Uh, 
After her death, Harry Winston purchased her whole jewelry collection. Right. And he then donates the stone to the, to the Smithsonian Museum, <clears throat> which is where it rests now. Right. But that's not where the cursed part ends, because what about the guy who delivers it? <laughs> so, I mean, okay, yes, there is, there was still a curse effect, because I guess it was shipped in just a plain box, um, insured for a million dollars to the Smithsonian, and the mailman who delivered the parcel with the diamond to the museum had his leg crushed in a truck accident shortly after. Um, he suffered a head injury in a different accident, and his house burned down. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Coincidence? Coincidence. A little but too much. A little too much coincidence I will say the Hope Diamond has not been unlucky for the Smithsonian. Right. It is the most visited... Part of the Smithsonian. Part of their exhibit with 7 million visitors each year. But the cool thing, I think, I've, I mean, the Hope Diamond Florist is red. Right. Which, oh my gosh, creepy on a Halloween night. Well, it also <laughs> phosphor, isn't there also phosphorescence? It phosphoresces orange yeah. due to the boron in the stone. And yeah. so it actually will glow orange for a little while after. Yeah. It's disaster. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's got. I mean, it's, it's cool kind one. of it's kind of spooky. But yeah. go see it at the Smithsonian. It's I I've seen it several times. It's beautiful and creepy. Yeah. So all right, you've all right. got some town too. Yeah. So the next one is about the curse of the Delhi purple sapphire, which Ooh. actually turns out not to be a purple sapphire. So this starts in India as well. Also from India, and uh, it's actually an amethyst. So it's actually not a purple sapphire. It's on display in England at the Natural History Museum. So it was uh, it was donated to the museum by Heron Allen's daughter, and Heron Allen wrote a letter to the to whoever shall be the possessor of this amethyst. These lines are addressed in mounting before he or she shall assume the responsibility of owning it. Ooh, this there's stone, a responsibility. Yes. This stone is trebly accursed and is stained with blood oh. and the dishonor of everyone who has ever owned it. It was looted from the treasure of the temple of God, Indra, at Kanpur during the Indian mutiny in 1855 and brought to this country by Colonel W. Ferris of the Bengal Calvary. From the day he possessed it, he was unfortunate and lost both health and money. Not good. His son, who had it after his death, suffered the most persistent ill fortune till I accepted the stone from him in 1890. Mm. He had given it once to a friend, but the friend shortly afterwards committed suicide and left it back to him by will. From the moment I had it, misfortunes attacked me until I had it bound round with a double-headed snake that had been a finger ring of Hadon, the astrologer. Okay, so so it was He first, mounts it. Yeah, until yep. it was it was bad luck until it was mounted right. into a double-headed snake ring. Right. Okay. So then looped up with zodiacal plate plaques and neutralized between oh. Hadon's magic 
cow. He neutralized the bad mojo with right. some zodiac signs. And two amethyst scarabai of Queen Hadassu's period brought from Der El Bahari. Uh-huh. It remained thus quietly until 1902, though not only I, but my wife, Professor Ross W.H. Ryder, and Mrs. Hayden frequently saw in my library the Hindu yoga who haunts the stone trying to get it back. Oh. He sits on his heels in a corner of the room, digging in the floor with his hands as searching for it. Oh my gosh. So he's, he's, he's got, he's, he's got like he wants demons it back. or something. Someone wants it back. So in 1902, under protest, I gave it to a friend who was thereupon overwhelmed with every possible disaster. On even my re- though it was still in the ring. Even though it was oh. still in the ring. On my return from Egypt in 1903, I found she had returned it to me, and after another great misfortune had fallen on me, I threw it into the Regent's Canal. Then three months afterwards, <laughs> it was it? brought back to oh, me no. Oh, no. by a Warner Street dealer who had bought it from a dredger. What? So a dredger found dredger it, and it was returned it. to him. Then I gave it to a friend who was a singer at her earnest wish. The next time she tried to sing, oh dear, her voice was dead and she has never sung since. Uh-huh. I feel that it is exerting a baleful influence over my newborn daughter, so I am now packing it in seven boxes and depositing hmm. it at my bankers with directions that it is not to see the light again until I have been dead 33 years. Okay. Whoever shall open it shall first read this warning and then do so as he pleases with the jewel. My advice to him or her is to cast it into the sea. I am forbidden by the Rosicrucian oath to do this or I would have done it long ago. Huh? Okay. Whatever that means. Signed, Edward Heron Allen, October 1904. Okay. So he instructed that it does not see light of day for 33 years after his death. His daughter, though, waited less than 12 months and then presented it to the museum. Oh, damn. <clears throat> but that seems to, that seems to be the, the end of it. So now he was an author, right? Yeah, he was an this author. It sounds like a good story. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds like a tall tale. <laughs> All right, so I actually found, and I had never heard of this one before, so this was new to me. And I know you hate stories about cursed opals because... Opals are fantastic. Opals are fantastic, and we sell a lot of them. (laughs) But this one, this is the only cursed one. Okay. But this is, and we don't know where it is now. Okay, so this was an interesting... It's an article. It's a whole article out of uh, the October 9th Chicago Tribune from 1898. Now, it's about a Spanish king, and it is about a cursed opal ring. And while reading the article, you have to understand that the Americans and the Spanish were fighting a war at this time, the Spanish-American War. Right. Okay. So, here I go with the article. I'm going to be interjecting some side notes on this as we go through. A few superstitions Spaniards believe that the long series of misfortunes that have befallen Spain and the present dynasty follows a cursed opal ring that a neglected beauty spitefully bestowed upon poor Alfonso Twelfth some four and twenty years ago. This is the story. 
It is an opal of large size and of most brilliant coloring, with a spark of living fire in its center. It is set in filigree gold and has no other jewels about it. Sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ring belonged to that famous beauty and adventuress, the Comtesse de Castellone who was the most beautiful woman in Europe ever known, and who was in the glory of her loveliness and power during the reign of Napoleon III. Now, she was the uh, mistress of Napoleon III, and uh, the emperor was her abject slave and aroused the most violent jealousy on the part of Eugene, who happened to be Napoleon III's wife. Uh, The dazzling woman was present at the all the great functions, and displayed her superb shoulders and bust in bewildering relief by the lowness of her corsages. Ooh, she was a uh, naughty lady. It's a well-written article. It is a well-written article. Every diplomat and statesman in France was at her feet, and among her most ardent admirers was Alfonso Twelfth, then an outcast and a pretender. So his mom had abdicated her throne and they kind of fled Spain and were living in France. And so he wasn't king, actually, at the time. The bewitching contest did not spend much of her time with him at first. But when she found his chances for becoming king of Spain were good, she smiled on him and his head was completely turned. When he went to his throne, the contest was to follow later, according to agreement, and the king promised her a high position at court and his exclusive royal favor. It's also thought that he promised her marriage and that she would become queen. Sure. But in the meantime, the king had fallen sincerely and deeply in love with one of his own royal blood, his cousin. All right. Which happened a Which lot. Which happened a lot. And his marriage took place amid much pomp and circumstance. And the beautiful Contessa in Paris was forgotten. It doesn't pay to pique a woman like this beauty of Castellone. And her hatred was terrible. A few months after the king's marriage, he received a package from the contest containing a beautiful opal ring of rare color. It was called a wedding gift and a memento of the friendship the king had held for the comtesse. The king showed it to his wife, Queen Mercedes, who was charmed with its beauty and begged to keep it. Alfonso gave it to her readily, and she slipped it on her finger. From that moment, she pined away. In a few months, she died. Whoa. Yeah. The ring fell from her dead hand, and the king, who could not bear to see it, gave it to his grandmother, and P.S. his wife's grandmother, they shared the same grandma, uh, Queen Christina, who died just a few months later. Next, the ring was given to Alfonso's sister, another princess, uh, the Infanta Maria del Pillar, who wore it but a few days before she died of a mysterious illness. The king then gave the fatal jewel to his sister-in-law, the youngest daughter of the Duke and Duchess de Montpensier. And in three months, the young princess was dead. After the series of fatalities, the king determined to keep the ring himself, and he slipped it on his little finger, and from that moment, his health began to fail, and in 24 hours, he was dead. Wow. Yeah. 
The doctors pronounced his case one of the strangest on record. His whole physical system seemed to have crumbled away. Every vital organ of his body, having suddenly succumbed to the most marked senile decay, physicians could never account for it, and the matter was hushed up. Queen Christina, who was his second wife, uh, was not in any way superstitious, took possession of the ring after her husband's death, but the other members of the family, with dark Spanish superstition, begged her to destroy it. Oh, I mean, this is a great article written in yeah. Chicago Tribune. I'm surprised this isn't a movie. Yeah. Yeah. This she refused to do. But to prevent it from doing any other damage, she hung it about the neck of the patron saint of Madrid, where it is today, which was back in 1898. It's not there today anymore. Uh, the Spaniards, however, are not yet satif- satisfied, for they declare that the fatal ring influences the saint to evil things. They credit the war with the United States to the ring. Wow. And, yeah. And the queen regent had been begged to destroy it or send it out of the country. If the queen is well advised, she will surely take one of the courses suggested. For what country could expect to conquer while cursed by a ring like this, governed by a king who is the 13th of his line. Clearly some American prejudice in that. Yeah. (laughs) During an ongoing war. Right. Side note, though, they didn't win the war. It's true. True. The statue of the patron saint of Madrid was destroyed in the 1930s, so we don't know really if this ring ever existed. But just a you know side note on some things: uh, his wife, who died when she was 18, was suffering from typhoid fever. Uh, a couple of them, like when he died, he had tuberculosis and dysentery. That would kill anybody. His grandma, when she passed away, was 17 year old or 72 years old. And That's old for back then. Yeah. Yeah. And then she died. So, I mean, old age. Old age. Yeah. But crazy story and well written by the Chicago Tribune. And opals aren't cursed. Go buy a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> The last story we have for you is the Black Orlov. The Black Orlov is a black diamond, also known as the Eye of Brahma. Brahma. Diamond. Oh, because it was stolen, right? Right. And it currently weighs 67.5 carats, but the diamond originally was 195 carats, and it's said to be discovered in the early 19th century India taken out of the eye of a statue of the Hindu god Brahma in Pondicherry, and then it was stolen by a Jesuit cleric. Note to self, don't take things out of right. don't Hindu steal. gods' yeah. statues. Especially not from... From India. Right. So then, according to legend, this theft caused the diamond to be cursed. Mm-hmm. So then I would 19- curse it. Yeah, so then in 1932, diamond dealer J.W. Paris is said to have taken the diamond to the United States and then soon after committed suicide by jumping from a skyscraper in New York City. Whoa. And then later owners included two Russian princesses called uh, Leonila Galatissin Beritinsky. Commit to it. Commit to it. <laughs> and Nadia Vigen Orlov, after whom the diamond is named. 
And both women allegedly jumped to their deaths in the 1940s in England. Whoa. The diamond was later bought by Charles F. Winson and cut into three pieces in an attempt to break the curse. Yep. The 67.5 carat black Orlov was set into a brooch of 108 diamonds and suspended from a necklace of another 124 diamonds. The diamond was purchased by diamond dealer Dennis Petamezis in 2004, and he is pretty confident that the curse was broken when it was cut into three. And then the black Orlov has been displayed at the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and at the Natural History Museum in London. Cool. So, but no, no other no talks of it deaths. being no current deaths <laughs> or anything like that. But three suicides by jumping. Yeah. By the owners. That's so, pretty intense. Yeah. I, I could see that. So, yeah. So, I basically, it comes down to don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then bad things probably don't come to you. So... Yeah, there you yeah. go. Well, yeah. we hope you enjoyed our little Halloween cursed gemstone special. It was kind of fun. I learned yeah. about a different cursed opal ring. So love yeah. those cursed opals. Keep them for myself. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for turning tuning in. I am Brecken. And I'm Jonathan. And have a great day. If you want to see what we do in our real life, you can always follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Parlay Gems. Talk Bye-bye. to you later. Bye.